0: hello everyone welcome once again to another episode of talk and fight where we're talking the olympics taking place this july in july but christian with me from the friday night panel and what have you found out for us today
1: Well, there's a few things going on uh, at the moment. So we had a brief statement less, less of an announcement than just a one word sentence, so to speak, from the IOC saying that they're going to be making a final decision on spectators uh, probably won't be announced till June now. So as uh, viewers of this show will know that back in March, they got rid of all the overseas spectators and it was widely Understood that we would hear sometime this month as to whether or not they were still going to allow local spectators, uh, as well as what those numbers are going to look like, what capacity they were going to allow, if any, inside the venues for uh, for live spectators. That decision has now been pushed back to June, so leaves the Japanese public at least uh, a little bit uh, in the lurch, trying to figure out whether or not they should be looking, trying to sort out refunds for these, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of tickets that have been purchased. So. Waiting to hear till June on that one outside of that, looking around the rings here, we've got uh, some more sad news out of uh, India. Unfortunately, COVID-19 has officially now entered the Tokyo Olympics bound Indian women's boxing team. It has been learned that quota holder Simranji Kaur, who fights in the 60 kilogram category, has tested positive for coronavirus. So this is the first case of COVID among the Tokyo bound female pugilists. Simranjid had bagged an Olympic quota at the Asian qualifiers in Amman last March. So after 21 women boxers and support staff, including high performance director Rafael Bergamasco, as well as head coach Ali Kamara, returned positive uh, COVID-19 results at the camp, the Sports Authority of India had moved Olympic bound uh, athletes, as well as other campers who had tested negative in the RT-PCR testing to a safe zone at JL Nehru Stadium. So among those shifted included Olympic qualified Lavlina Borgain in the 69 kilogram category, Pooja Rani in 75 kilogram category. Apart from Simranjit, six time world champion quota holder MC Mary Comb has been training separately from the rest of the team with her personal coaching staff. So after Simranjit's positive results, authorities have decided to halt training completely for all Olympic bound women boxers for the time being and have told Lavlina and Puja to leave for their respective homes. Uh, both At this point in time, both Lavlina and Pooja have tested negative for coronavirus. So, as always, you know, fingers crossed on speedy recovers. We hope the people who did test positive are asymptomatic, hopefully, and that uh, everyone's going to be back in fighting shape in time for the Olympics. But obviously, especially for these people who have already qualified for the Olympics, being sent home from training camp at this point in time, less than 100 days before the actual games themselves, this is going to hurt their actual Olympic chances, uh, you know, their podium chances when we get to the actual Olympics themselves, because other teams are have had more successful camps when it comes to uh, keeping COVID out and have been training nonstop during this time. And I think this is going to hurt them in the long run, unfortunately. But like I said, fingers crossed and hopefully things will go better in an attempt to avoid that sort of exact same thing going on we've had uh, news of a couple of teams now who have uh, committed to getting their their entire uh, olympic contingent vaccinated prior to tokyo so we saw that news out of the philippines this morning and that and that one it was a short announcement saying that they're asking the government to put them into a uh, a prioritized category and at first there's a bit of a uh, okay what's going on here you know is it okay to prioritize athletes above you know everyday citizens for something like this well in the case of the philippines they're actually only sending at least so far they only have seven olympians who have qualified for the games four of which boxers as we know so this is a really a kind of a, I understand the argument but in a situation like the philippines where we're only talking about a half the you know seven athletes i think that it's not going to make a huge difference but we're also starting to see this in larger. Uh, countries as well, which now it does start to beg the question, who are you taking these uh, vaccinations away from? The Belgians are traveling to uh, Japan for the Tokyo Games uh, were promised priority treatment recently for COVID-19 vaccines. The uh, Belgian Olympic Committee said that it's 177 Olympic and 55 Paralympic athletes will get vaccine shots while most of the adult population of their age still have to wait. So the Belgian Olympic Committee said in a statement their reasoning on this was, quote, because of the small group of athletes, the decision will have as little as as good as no impact on the overall vaccination campaign. So I'd, again, it begs the question, at what point in time are you know, is it a, is it enough people you say you're taking away from a vulnerable group? Is it a half dozen athletes and their respective coaches? And now we're talking about Belgium, where we've got 177 athletes plus coaches, plus trainers, plus other you know peripheral staff who are integral to running the game. So at what point in time are you taking away from high risk groups, vulnerable groups or just kind of jumping the queue? The debate rages on as we hear about more uh, as we hear about more things going on like that, though, we will let you know who is uh, vaccinating, who is uh, who's taking the risk, who isn't. As we know, the Chinese have offered to vaccinate athletes going to uh, the games, both for these games, as well as Beijing coming up in February. Not a lot of people have taken them up on that as of yet. And we also know that as it sits right now, their vaccines are not mandatory, uh, according to the Tokyo Organizing Committee. So. We'll see what happens as we as we move forward with this. We're also expecting uh, next month a new updated copy of the COVID-19 playbook to be issued by the IOC as well, and that's going to have updated restrictions and uh, just updated game plan on how they intend on running a COVID safe games. And once that new playbook is published, I will take the time and I will go through it and uh, I'll let you know what changes, if any, we spot in there. Moving away from COVID, though, Graham, and into something a little bit weirder, a little, a little bit odder. So we've talked a couple of times, as recently as yesterday, uh, actually about uh, judging in the Olympics, refereeing, judging. We've talked about how those things uh, play out. We've talked about things like the standing eight count. We've had Jennifer Huggins on here who's talked a little bit more in depth about uh, judging and about refereeing uh, an amateur bout. So when this one came across my, uh, my, my tablet this morning, as I was reading the news, I had a bit of a, a bit of a, bit of a look at this one. Just a reminder that, you know, as we see the AIBA and these official bodies start to move towards more transparency, that there's some other things that are still out there happening in the world. So I want to talk to you just briefly here about a fight that took place between a couple of 13-year-olds recently. One of those 13-year-olds, though, happened to be Adam Katarov, the son of the head of the Chechen Republic, Ramzan Katarov. And he appeared to be handed a very undeserved win in a recent amateur bout. So in a scene that wouldn't have been out of place in Sasha Baron, Baron Cohen's 2012 film, The Dictator, see uh, Thor, sorry, I recently turned 14, not 13, my apologies. Uh, the 14-year-old Adam had his hand raised despite being on the receiving end of the best punches of this bout. So what happened? With just under a minute remaining in the second round, the two fighters started trading shots. But Adam's opponent was slightly more accurate and connected several more times. You know, these these are kids, they're amateur boxers, they're kids, they're trading headshots at this point in time. And his opponent is probably landing two to three for every one that uh, Katarov is is landing here. Now, this prompted an unnecessary intervention by the referee, who perhaps sensed that the action wasn't going uh, according to script. So at this point in time, he then sends Adam Katteroff back to his corner and gives his opponent a standing eight count, even though he hadn't really taken any damage and wasn't showing any signs whatsoever of being hurt. Now, the boxer and and I've watched this. I went back and I went looking for this footage and I watched this and you can clearly see as the eight count starts, uh, the boxer in blue is standing there looking at the ref, looking to his corner, looking back, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking right at you. We're, we're Everything's fine here. So the boxer in Blue's corner, though, had also clearly sensed the apparent danger and threw in the towel uh, at that point in time, signaling that their man could no longer continue. So the referee waved off the bout and um, Katarov was declared the winner. Now, footage of this bout has, for very good reason, been met with derision around the boxing community. So who is and Katarov? Ramzan Katerov was engaged in a violent power struggle for military and political authority after assuming leadership of the Russian Republic back in 2007 and has built a somewhat unwanted presence in the boxing as well as MMA worlds, Uh, as well as holding underage fights involving his own offspring. This isn't the first time he's done that, by the way. He's been doing this for years, uh, both MMA and boxing, with his his kids. He's also been photographed, you know, with the likes of, you know, Floyd Mayweather and Mike Tyson, and he leverages their fame to kind of grow his own popularity. Uh, he also made a somewhat chilling offer to UFC president Dana White a little while ago to put in the best local Chechen fighters against White's best in a fights to the death. If White uh, wanted to uh, stage those in Chechen in, uh, in Chechnya. Um, or the Chechen Republic, I should say, sorry. Uh, there's also uh, regular stories of his sinister and iron-fist approach to ruling, and it has repeatedly been la- connected to the deaths of his uh, enemies. Australian heavyweight boxer Lucas Brown got a first-hand look at how the Katarovs are treated in their homeland when he traveled to uh, the Chechen Republic to fight Uzbekistan's Ruslan Chegev in 2016. He attended a gym in Grozny for a photo opportunity in the days leading up to the bout and found Katarov on hand with his hands lightly wrapped for a light sparring session. And now the quote from Brown at the time says, uh, Brown says, he's basically a big child. That's how I would describe him. Anything he did, everyone was like, yeah, that's the greatest thing we've ever seen. So he did all this stuff and we took a photo and then he basically went, bang, and punched me in the stomach as hard as he could, and I wasn't ready for it. It was a hard punch, and I was completely shocked. I didn't know what to do. Now, it turns out he did make the right decision, or I should at least say the prudent decision, and and laughed it off. Now, afterwards, he asked his minder, his armed guard, if he had done anything, what, what would have happened, and his guard responded, we'd shoot you. If he had responded in kind. Uh so you know, perhaps the boxer in blue was uh was smart to lose as well. But it just goes to show in like, the world of boxing, even at the amateur levels, you know, not not everything is always as transparent as Umar Kremlev and Ishtavankovec are trying to make things these days in the AIBA. But those have been the uh, headlines, uh, some sad, some a bit bizarre, that have come across my desk
0: this morning. Graham, have you got anything? I'm just reading that comment, as you are. Uh, Looks like we have uh, a qualifying cup. Mm -hmm.
1: Oh, that would be the tournament in Belgrade starting, uh, starting on the end of the week.
0: So there we go, some action.
1: Yeah, and we'll and be talking a little bit about that one tomorrow. We're gonna we'll mention that and uh, a little bit of information on that uh, that tournament as well.
0: And one of our good contacts, Maya, is uh, is in Belgrade actually, uh, so we should be able to get a boots on the ground report, if not uh, from some of the other people who are corresponding with us via England. So anyway, We'll
1: have to take a quick look and see what time it is in Belgrade right now. See if we can uh, get her on this shore. She might have to drop in on Mike or at four.
0: Yeah, she's pretty well busy during the day. Uh, I think uh, our boy Christian just froze there, but uh, Maya won't be able to come into this particular chat right now. But uh, we might get her for tomorrow or the day after. Um, the other person who might be able to report uh, would be uh, Andrew out of Budapest. Anyway, um, I guess that's uh, all we have to report today on uh, talk and fight with respect to the Olympics and. Uh, the athletes who are preparing for those uh, olympics in tokyo this july so i'll see you tomorrow thank you very much